0: So, uh Rene, Marcos, thank you for coming on another episode of Market Scale Cross Sections. Um, I hope that we can talk today in a uh extended version about everything you're working on. Um, your background and um, uh everyone's very familiar with it. We did the, our preview on LinkedIn Live. Um, do you want to start with uh what are the how do you got into the industry? How you came up with or the pain points that you saw that needed to be addressed uh, in the industry. And perhaps that's a good starting point to give people some color.
1: Yeah. So I, I uh, really, thanks for, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Uh, great to be on the show. Um, my background, I'm a construction guy. My dad was in construction. I'm a second generation civil engineer. Uh been building stuff. I think it's 22, almost 23 years now. First uh, job was assistant site foreman then became a site engineer, then became a project manager, then uh, managed several jobs, then started getting interested in, you know, how do you run companies from an operations perspective, right? Uh, daily reports, monthly reports, cost codes, spent nine months of my life developing cost codes, right? Uh, one of the most boring things you can probably do with your life. But uh, uh, The question was you know, how, how did we end up building Alice? And, the, you know, I it would be really cool if there was like one moment, but there was two, you know, there's really like two moments that kind of like birthed the, the, the technology, the theory of the company. Right. And the first is, you know, I was in, in Kabul, Afghanistan at the time working as a, a civilian contractor and uh, I was installing landing strips for F-16s, exotic destination, you know, exotic project. But you know, the truth is it was like a slab, you know, big concrete slab. Right. And so I'm sitting there. I'm trying to figure out how do you sequence the people that I had so that, you know, I could finish this thing as fast as possible. And I remember thinking like, you know, I got to be like really stupid. I can't figure out like there's lots of different ways. You know, if you put the formwork in zone A2, but then you, you know, have steel work in in A3, but maybe if you do it this way, you know, and I remember thinking like, you know, I can't really figure this out. Right. And so that was like, I think, you know, so I was like, I got to go find the tool that can do this. I got to go find the tool that will tell me how to build something, right? You know, the, the pros, you know, out there, you know, the, the folks that are, you know, currently in, you know, building the $100 million projects, you know, in, in, in the civilized world, right? They, they they, have this tool. And so I went out looking for it. I went to UC, did my master's, didn't find it. You know, then I was like, okay, Stanford, Stanford's got to have it. Right. So I showed up at Stanford. I was like looking for the tool, you know, and I ended up building it. The, the other moment was, you know, as I was working my PhD, I kind of, kind of veered off that thought, veered off the thought a little bit. And, uh, what I started to do was I started to, to, you know, explore or experiment with, uh, um, construction sites being empty. So I was running on a construction project in the Netherlands, right. And, uh, on that construction project, um, they were six, six weeks late, right. And so you know, they're sort of very heated conversation. Every day was fifty thousand euros of liquidated damages, and people were getting pretty pretty upset. And you know, the subcontractor was saying, "I can't work any faster. I can't work any faster." And I get up and I, you know, just I think I just want to get away from the table. So I got up and went to the window, right? And I'm looking outside, and they hit me. You know, it was like, "There's there's six people in a hundred thousand square foot of empty space, right?" And every suddenly I was like, "That's you know, every project I've ever been on has been empty." Right. And so, you know, let's we drive down the road and look at a construction project, any construction project, pick one at random, right? You know, it's not crawling with people, right? There'll be pockets of work, but lots of empty, empty space. So, you know, I started measuring construction space usage. And then from there, basically what I um, discovered was that on average, 3% of construction site space is used for con- you know, construction. So I was like, oh, "Holy cow! Like that's 97% of construction site space is not being used for production for construction." You know, if you look at other fields, if you look at you know factories, you know, asset utilizations, you know, hover from around 50, 60, maybe even 70%, right? So I thought to myself, "Okay, how do you increase space usage?" So you know, to to do that, I, I realized, you know, let's use let's use some algorithm, let's use a little bit of AI. So I was kind of shuffling processes on a construction job. And then the two worlds link together. Right. I uh I had this moment where I showed the, the prototype to the project manager and he was like, yeah, that's that's a buildable schedule. So I was like, wait, I mean I just taught the computer how to build. You know, I remember sort of flying back across the Atlantic, you know, sitting on a Heineken thinking like, hey, this thing knows how to build. You know, like it doesn't know how to build very well. Right, but it can build, you know. So that was that was that was kind of the birth of of Alice. Those two moments, right? Wanting to the, the the computer, I want to find an algorithm. The computer can tell me how to build something, and then I want to increase space usage. And by solving that second, more specific problem, I realized that I had gone a long way into solving that first broader problem. If that makes sense. How to
0: how to build versus space usage. Now, now let me let me unpack this in a way to make sure we we erase any sort of misconceptions, right? So we have um, the, are are we definitely correlating the efficient use of space to a more expedited project, but not necessarily uh, the most cost effective, right? Are we balancing space and time? Um, Or what do you think are the, what are the key constraints that you've focused on that you center this Alice around, I guess is the, the better question because space is definitely one of them. And the other one being yeah. budget and time.
1: Yeah, the question you're asking is, is like the question, right? So like what you're asking is, you know, to, to, to categorize or formalize how the problem works and what are the, you know, what are the input variables? What are the output variables? What are the things that you can do? How do you model the constraints? You know, and that, that's really what took me, you know, five years to figure out. Right, Um, what's surprising about our field is that even though we, we, you know, construction represents 10% of all GDP, we do not have a fully developed construction process model. What that really means, what that means, it's a technical term, you know, some folks might not be aware of it, but it's it's relatively simple. What it's saying is that, you know, I've had people call me up, advanced AI researchers, and say, hey, I wanna go, you know, uh, apply AI to construction. Like, what are the pieces of the puzzle? Right. And that that has like, there's no, there's no book I can point you at that says, well, if you want to think about construction, you need to think about labor and equipment and material and, and the production rates are an attribute of the task, but, you know, or the element or the crew or, you know, so on and so forth. Right. And so the, the question you were asking was, was, um, what I thought at the time was that increasing space usage would reduce duration because you're, you're scheduling more things concurrently Right. But the, the you know the, what happens if you schedule things concurrently is you schedule things on top of each other. So aha. So the research kind of you know objective changed from schedule things concurrently, you know, and, and, I, I, and this was my mantra for like three years, you know, I'd, I'd present this over and over again, you know, maximize work density while eliminating spatial clashes. That was the big thing, right? So it was like doing those two things at the same time. And so how do you increase space usage? while guaranteeing those spatial clashes. And, and because there are lots of sequencing options, I went to an algorithm to do that. So that's sort of you know um, how I kind of thought about formalizing or, or pushing forth that piece of the puzzle, right? right. Um, in terms of the, the constraints itself, um, what I ended up doing, right, and I didn't realize it till later, Right. It's not like I set out to do it. I, I did it and then I realized that it was done, which was convert complex construction constraints into generalized scheduling constraints. And so what that means is is a lot of people think like, oh, like something like Alice shouldn't be possible because you know, construction is way too complicated, right? There's weather and there's material delays and there's you know production rates. There's there's so many different, you know, types of rules and construction is so complex, right? And so, yeah, if you were to have a button for every single type of complexity, you know, your your tool would have a thousand buttons. Right. I mean, it would be crazy, right? Um, the truth is that, that that is, you know, yes, that is all true unless you convert complex construction constraints into generalized scheduling constraints. And that's what I was what I spent my PhD doing. And I, you know, I had discovered three main rules right that that were you know that looked really really promising and here we are you know a decade later and it's still three rules which surprised me like i kept thinking like you know there there's going to be like i remember thinking you know if there's six or seven i can probably pull this off if there's eight or more i'm going to probably run out of money before i crack it and there's three right Huh.
0: Yeah. And you're going to share those now with us. Uh, Happy to
1: do that, yeah. It's a discrete disjunction (laughs) and precedence constraints. Yeah,
0: yeah. Please tell us the secrets of the the way. (laughs) Yes. There's a really
1: good book on. Tell uh, tell me about Yeah, I was going to say that there's a really good book. One uh, one of the best books I've read on innovation is is called How to Fly a Horse. And, you know, highly recommend it to anybody, you know, that's dealing with innovation, thinking about innovation, thinking about technology, like, it's a book that looks at innovation over the last century of human evolution. And um, it really dispels this myth of there's like this aha moment. You know, it's, it's solving little problem, little problem after little problem after little problem after little problem. And that's exactly what, what the Alice Journey has been. You know, it, it's, you know, it's, that's like, you know, secret sauce. I mean, yeah, you know, 250,000 hours of research and development time. Right. I mean, that, that's the secret.
0: It's 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 a uh, cumulative knowledge, and you're constantly tapping what you know, what you understand. You know, it's funny. I, I went on a uh, I call them Google Rampages pages yesterday, and I was thinking about like um, the many of the best breakthroughs come when you're tapping um, different knowledge bases. So for me personally, you know, it's been a, a progression between um, like uh, financial metrics, asset management. Engineering, design, project management, and when one day when I just mix them all together uh, irrationally is when I come to the best sort of conclusions. you know that's the i and that that might be called research <laughs> but but uh, I imagine that it's done more professionally, and um, I hope sometime we get that opportunity, but for now, it's just a collection of a lot of different things that don't fit together, obviously at first um, to try and solve problems.
1: Einstein famously said, if we, if we knew what we were doing, we wouldn't call it research, right? You know, and so, so for like, I mean, the the interesting thing about research is for a lot of the time you don't, right? Like that, you know, and I, like, that's the thing that, you know, about that book, right? Is, is you know, after reading it, I was like, oh, I'm not the only one. I kind of feel so dumb, right? But like, no, it turns out that the innovation and research tend, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know how to do it. I'm going to tinker with it, you know, till, till, till this little piece works. And we're going to go tinker with the next little piece till it works and so on and so forth. Right. And a thousand, you know, little tinkerings later, right. You've got something that, you know, you got an invention.
0: Right. Right. And in the meantime, you have to create that construct that it's going to lead to something. (laughs) Um, because that—that's the part oh, yeah, that—that's the, the tricky. Part. I can see where people get easily unmotivated, you know, when when they don't know if the pieces are going to come uh, together, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, I completely agree. That that's what the game's about.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. Because it's 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 really. I mean, the the dark days are dark. <laughs> You know, because it's you're like, oh, it's never gonna work, or like we're never gonna pull this off. You know, it, it, yeah, you're always. So anybody that's out there that's working on something, like just keep chiseling away. I, I had a a friend of mine uh, during the piece. He, he said something to me that really kept me going, and he said, "You know, Renee, it's like a big giant redwood tree. Just keep sawing, just keep sawing, just keep sawing. One day it will fall." Hmm. You know,
0: interesting analogy. And so yeah, you know,
1: three years, <laughs> yeah, three three years later, you're like, okay.
0: How long? How long did the PhD take? I thought on average they were they were multiple years, right? Like four to six years. People take.
1: Yeah, I think the average is seven. Uh, I was working six months a year, so I did what it's colloquially called an industrial PhD, which is a really I think it's a great idea because you're kind of working for six months and then you go back and you study. And I did it in six, you know, so it didn't like add a lot of time. What was really cool is the PhD also was was very applied. You know, um, you know, like, you, you know, I didn't spend five years sitting in a lab. I, I you know, did the lab stuff, then went to a company. Um, you know, believe it or not, there's not a lot of construction companies out there that will pay you to sit in a room and think, you know. Uh, and so, you know, well, think about research, I should say, right now. And like exactly that, like not a lot of companies are going to pay you for, hey, I'm going to think about this maybe three years from now, I'll have something.
0: Maybe uh, there's uh, even applied research. There's no, uh, there's very small pockets. You would say,
1: you know, like what was clear to me, and that that was the fun thing, right? What was clear to me is that um, you know you need to you need to show benefit advantage today. So we were doing you know applied research. We were applying. I mean, this was 2008. We were applying 3D and 4D and and BIM and, and line of balance scheduling and, and energy analysis. Like you know that was applied research right we were taking you know existing tools and applying them and when everybody went home then i'd go and work on really the the, the crazy zany stuff right um but what i'm trying to explain is that the you know the fact that you're sort of that i was working on day to day stuff right really helped with the really zany stuff if that makes sense right you know every so often i would kind of slot in some of the crazy stuff i was working on into kind of the run of the mill operations right and that like it was really useful, right? I mean that's that's really you you've gotta hand that to Stanford, right? It's that that um industrial connection, right? Like the consistent, like, no, I don't want you to, to just go, you know, think of something cool, you know, how how is it applied? Right.
0: Right, right. And and that's and that's interesting because um we're still in a phase in the industry, I feel like, where um the fun stuff is, is just magic as far as the industry is concerned. So if you have some practicality and you can roll it out in a way that doesn't disrupt the business, uh, then they barely notice, <laughs> you know, just things work better, uh, for whatever reason. And it's just generally accepted. Um, the question is, you know, to what degree you're able to do that. And it sounds like you found that sweet spot between. The research uh, and applied uh, doctorate program. Uh, I mean, in in many ways, it's 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 the dream. It's the perfect setup to to really contribute novel findings to the industry directly, plugged in. You know, no no middlemen.
1: <laughs> I mean, I loved it. You know, I mean, it, it's it's if you're looking for <laughs> any time off during the week, and if you're looking to earn, you know, anything more than a peer, beer and pizza budget, then that's not a good choice you know like the, the thing you do give up is like absolutely all freedom and all income uh, right <laughs> you're completely you're you're working 24 7 and completely broke for six years right
0: but, but you I'm, know, I'm if you're okay with
1: that then it's it's great it's a lot of fun
0: interesting interesting um let's see i was going to take it a lot of different directions but i'm just thinking more things one thing i'm going to footnote is i'm going to i'm going to start hyphenating research uh, at least on my, on my, on my stuff, cause that's, that was, um, that's a very interesting, uh, perspective that it's called research for a reason. Um, how to fly a horse, I will get around to. Um, I, I had ended up reading the, the craft of research, which made it seem very linear. Uh, and it was a very, it's a very well-known publication. All, you know, PhDs or whatever should read it. And I found it, um, limiting a bit like this is how you ask questions that should go in this order and i say well if that's the case i'm in trouble because i don't i don't know what, <laughs> i don't know what i'm doing
1: i really think like the, the minute you're doing anything like here's here's a big fallacy right a lot of people think of innovation as like oh it's this like sexy fun thing right that's like easy and, and you know it's just 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 be innovative right um and so somebody you know recently said like and I think Jeff Bezos has some quote that that says, you know, innovation is relatively easy. All you need to do is have the ability to go through lots and lots of pain and adversity and rejection, right? And then, and then, you know, it's it's true. Right? The minute you're innovating, like, you know, folks that are you know innovate innovation leads at companies, right? And and you'll see that, right? The people that really, you know, for example, I you know chatting to Verma at Exxon, right? And the folks that really have have worked in innovation for a while you know, that, that I've learned from, right, um, have shown me that like, hey, it, it's 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 a lot about there's a lot of failure involved, right? Like you know, even if you're thinking to yourself, oh, all I got to do is go get a tool and apply it, there's a lot of learnings in what is the right process, what are the right people, what you know, especially if it's a tools innovative, right? BIM, right? You know, like. You know, it's not like you wake up in the morning and you go out and you go, well, we just buy a Revit, you know, license, right? Um, you know, it's it's learning how to implement um, the processes around it. It's how to, you know, assert the value, measure it. That's well, that's the fun thing about it, right? There's always a next, next frontier of things that we're trying to figure out and trying to learn. And what's so cool about the construction industry today is it almost doesn't matter who you are, in the sense of like it doesn't matter where you're, whether you're at a software company or a construction company, or you're a you know project manager at a construction company, you're an innovation leader at a construction company, you know you're part of the, you know an, an educator. Like it, there's just so much excitement going on. There's the venture capitalist, right? Um, you know there's there's folks that are you know hosting you know webinars, right? Podcasts. Like it doesn't matter who you are. It takes every one of these players to create the change that we need to see. And every one of these players has a role to play. And and, and what's really interesting is that, that what's happening in construction today is what happened in manufacturing in the 80s, right? It, like in my mind, it's, it's equivalent to, to the, the, the introduction of the internet, right? And there's just a lot of opportunity as these, these changes are occurring, there's just a lot of opportunity for literally almost anybody to say, you know what? I want to go ride that wave, right? That, that's so exciting.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and and it's uh, a number of industries with with contact being uh, one of the leads. There was actually someone from fundamental, uh, fundamental, Patrick, just mentioned some of the growth trajectory and compared it to pharma tech and health tech. You know, you see, you see, never before uh, uh, existing trends, and I'm always hesitant to say that because every every individual thinks the end of history is in their timeline. And it's not that, but there is a significant shift, um, and uh, we're both on the idea of, of riding it. But let's, um, let's, let's draw some parallels between things you learned about failure and success, Alice Technologies. Um, the way I'm kind of framing your, your background is that you cut your teeth in, in this experience solving for a problem at the cross-section between academia and applied research and then you're able to transfer that over and effectively bring it to market with those findings. Is that accurate? What did you learn? How did you see that overlap? Let, let's give some Alice time now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, the journey, the Alice journey is, is, is it's not unique, but it's, it's extremely rare, right? And, and it's extremely rare because what we've managed to do is we've gone from conceptual research, which is, you know, um, is the production rate an attribute of the crew or the element or the, um, the, the task, right? Like, how do you draw out the data map, right? What, what are the pieces of the puzzle, right? From there, we move to theoretical research, which is, okay, now we've got the piece of the puzzle. How do those pieces interact? Right. Um, if you are building X, what happens to production rate? What happens to, you know, Y? Like, uh, how do you have those pieces interact most effect- effectively, most efficiently? How do you resequence? How do you start squeezing out performance? Right. So conceptual research, theoretical research, right? From theoretical research, we said, okay, well, now we need to actually, you know, prove that, that this research is actually, you know, we're not just cooking it up. So we need to, to demo it. We need a prototype. So we went into prototyping. Right? We started having our first prototypes, think around with them. And, and like I always say, you know, they, they 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 caught fire more than that more times than I can remember, right? You know, this didn't work, and that didn't work, and this caught fire, and so on and so forth. And then from from prototyping, we went into a commercial product, right? And so that was also, you know, I mean each of these phases you're totally you know two, three years, right? And then commercial product. And then now we've got a commercial-grade product that actually, it's not a prototype. You can actually put it into a customer's hands, right? right? And from there, we went into commercialization, right? So really, like, five phases that we went through. Um, You know, what did I learn? I think the most, you know, the one thing that I would say is, is it's what Edison said, you know, innovation is 99% perspiration, 1% inspiration. You know, and I and I remember thinking, you know, three or four years in, I was like, oh, no, you know, the idea is really important, right? I mean, the idea is worth, you know, at least 20% of the whole thing, right? And then, you know, as time moved on, I was like, and I, you know, I remember like four or five years in, I'm like, I don't, don't want to give it to this guy, you know? And I was like, you know, now it's like, yeah, that idea is, it's sub 1% of the whole thing. You know, it's just the like the the, the name of the game. I wish I had sort of known this earlier. It's it's not this like aha moment. It's the ability to to keep, you know, applying pressure, applying effort onto one thing and focusing on that one thing over and over and over and over and over and over over again, right? Until you crack it, right? And that's the thing that I've realized, you know, and and that applies to a lot of stuff, right? But, you know, especially like the thing that I realized was that when something's known, you know, let's assume there's a linear relationship to effort and and progress. You know, you put the double the effort, you get double the progress, right? You can lay ten bricks an hour. If you do two hours, you got twenty bricks, right? If it's unknown, that it completely goes out the window. And so, you know, it, it's 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 really interesting. Like that's you know something. I guess if I was to like put all of that information in one piece, like that's that's the one thing that I've kind of come away with, right? Which is, is that the the unknown stuff, like you know, y- you don't know how many bricks an hour. Right? You you might put a hundred hours in and get one brick, you know. Other times you put an hour and get a brick, right? It's sort of, and there's just a lot of a lot of failure. Like no matter how smart you are, there's a like, there's a lot of things that you're you're. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's like Edison said, right? It's like, I didn't fail a thousand times. I just found a thousand times a light bulb won't work, right?